You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Hello. Let's go ahead and get started with today's walk talk. Tennessee. Yeah, it's a little little bit cold here. You're in LA though, so you you don't you don't know what it's like. <laughs> Colorado. All right, so let Florida. I was just in Florida on vacation or spring break. Cool, cool. All right, let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> Um, Before I begin, let me go ahead and introduce myself just in case you're new to my ministry. My name is Matt McMillan. Good morning, Logan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle, maybe hardcover. I'm in the process of seeing what that is all going to entail. So that would be really cool to re-release all my books on a hardcover. What else? I have a podcast. You might be listening to the podcast right now in the future. Now, of course, I'm recording this live. So if you're watching live, clearly you're not listening to the podcast, but you're watching on Instagram. But a lot of people listen to this on the podcast now. And I had a lot of encouragement. One person who encouraged me to start the podcast was the Found Sheep brand. My friend Gonzo, he's a huge encouragement to me. You guys got to follow his account. He's got some awesome uh, Christian wear and just a super, super nice guy. So, But he encouraged me to start the podcast. He listened to these walk talks all the time and was like, hey, why don't you put these on a podcast? And, you know, I had some other people encourage me to do that. So I did. So you can listen to all of these walk talks on the podcast now on your favorite podcasting app. And it's called Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. So search it out, download, subscribe. And if you've been listening for a while, leave me a review if you wouldn't mind. I always appreciate those. They're very encouraging to me. Also, if you've read my books and you haven't left a review yet, please do that as well. I always enjoy going back and reading the reviews. Hey, good morning, Susie. Bible whistleblower, good morning. All right, yeah, you too, brother. All right, I'm also on YouTube now. A lot of people want me to put these things on YouTube as well. When I first started these walk talks, I didn't plan on doing any of that. I just wanted to get on here and have a longer format talk where it's just more off the cuff, more just talking. And over time, once I started these about a year ago, um, people wanted them to be on a podcast, so I've done that now that it's on YouTube. So if you if you enjoy the YouTube format, go there. You can also find me on TikTok. You can find me on Facebook. And of course, you're watching on Instagram. So if you're just watching and you're not following, uh, hit the follow button. If you don't want to miss anything that I post, you can always hit that notification button. You won't miss anything. I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. Not that pastors aren't regular people, but the word pastor is only used once in the New Testament, and it is listed in Ephesians chapter 4 as a spiritual gift. Now, when we see the spiritual gift, we see it listed along with some other spiritual gifts, and we see no qualifications to be a pastor. We see no authority. So what's that tell us? Pastors have no qualifications to be in what our modern church has turned that spiritual gift into, which they've turned this gift into a position. In the Bible, it's not a position. In the Bible, there's no qualifications. In the Bible, there's no authority. So that tells us that us, we, humanity, have turned this word pastor into what it is today. Nowhere in the Bible do we see one person telling everybody what to think, what to do, what to believe, 
how to act, how to live. It's not there, nowhere in any New Testament epistle. Instead, what do we see? We see a group. We see a body of believers. Nobody in the Bible had a seminary degree. Nobody in the Bible was in charge. There was no top-down authority on this side of the cross. It's absent. It's not there. So when we see what we see today on planet Earth, where there's a pastor, then deacon board, elder board, and then all of us lay Christians down here, that is error. We've come up with that as humanity, and we've tried to retrofit it into the Bible. Even the pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, the word pastor is not in those letters. But the people who have taken this word pastor and turned it into what it is today want those letters to be pastoral letters. That way they can emphasize what they want the word pastor to be. Now, am I attacking pastors? Absolutely not. Love people. Respect people. Don't attack. That will never set right with you as a holy person. So when I tell you these truths about your freedom, about what the truth is about the word pastor, I'm not telling you to go call somebody out. I'm not telling you to attack somebody. I'm not telling you to unfriend somebody. I'm not telling you to go off on somebody. These are free thoughts. These are things which are meant to help renew your mind to the truth and help you understand what scripture says. Because here's the thing, we've been taught a lot of things that are not in the Bible. And it's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Just because so-and-so said it does not mean it's true. It's true if it's in the Bible and it's based on the context of the new covenant. The Bible is all true. Genesis to Revelation. But we have to read everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament based on the cross, the new covenant. Okay? So when you interact with somebody who is a pastor, they're no different than you. <laughs> Matter of fact, there are a lot of people who became a pastor just so they can express narcissistic tendencies and control groups because that's their struggle. Whether they're a believer or not, nobody knows. So we have to take our focus off of what humanity has changed the word pastor into. Go back to the Bible. Study this for yourself. You know, this is not something that I'm just coming up with. <laughs> I have studied the word pastor. You can study the word pastor. Don't just get mad at me. Don't just blow me off. Go back to the Bible. There's a wonderful website that I use for, for my studies. It's called Bible Gateway. Go to Bible Gateway, type in the word pastor. It will list every time that word is listed in each book. And you're gonna see it's only listed once in the New Testament. So I say these things in my introduction so I can renew your mind to the fact that you don't have to place your confidence into one human being. Shift your focus away from an individual back onto Jesus, back onto yourself in Christ. You don't need anybody with this man-made position of pastor to tell you something. Can they encourage you? Can they teach you if they have those gifts? Of course, but your need for them is error. You don't need them. And that position is just that, a man-made position. It's not in the Bible of what we see today, okay? So let's shift our focus away from that, back onto Jesus, back onto the fact that we are a group, we're a body of Christ, and we don't need any man to teach us what the Holy Spirit has written on our hearts and minds. 
Okay. Now, if you want to contact me, always welcome your interaction. Just go to my website and go over to the contact page and send me a message. I'll be glad to talk back and forth with you. Now, here's the thing. When you reach out to me, a couple boundaries that I have set up for myself. First of all, if you message me on social media, I probably will not be replying to that. And the reason why is I have to have some healthy boundaries on social media so I can have a normal life. And I simply cannot keep up with the messages I receive on social media. So rather than do that, that message button is open for personal relationships of mine. Rather than message me, email me, go to my website, go over to the contact page, email me. I'll, I'll respond to you. Here's when I won't respond. If you're rude, I'm not going to respond. If you're disrespectful, I'm not only not going to respond, I will block your email address. You won't even know that and I'll delete your message. Okay. Also, if you continually email me ongoingly, nonstop, I, I, that's not going to be okay for me. I love you. I want to help you. But there comes a point where you're going to have to stop going to me for every answer that you want. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not, I'm not the know-it-all. You know everything. I'm, I'm here to help you. But when you email me repeatedly, <laughs> multiple times per day, I have a healthy boundary that you're going to have to pump your brakes and that's not going to work for me. Okay. All right. Now let's go ahead and <laughs> get to today's walk talk. The title of today's walk talk is I'm an addicted Christian. What should I do? I'm an addicted Christian. What should I do? All right. Now, before I get into this, when I first started my social media ministry, I was still addicted to many different things, including alcohol, pornography, religious works. Over time, I have, I've gotten sober. As far as alcohol is concerned, I haven't drank a drop of alcohol since May 8th, uh, May, May 7th of 2014. My sobriety date is May 8th, 2014. My last big drunk was Cinco de Mayo, which is coming up next week. So, and then I drank a little bit longer after that, but my last big drunk where I did a lot of dumb stuff was on Cinco de Mayo. Now, here's the thing. When I get into this topic of addiction, once I got sober, that's all I wanted to talk about. It was like the priority of my ministry. I'm having connection issues here in case it's dropping off. When I first got sober, it was the priority of my ministry to help you get sober. Even more than talking about Jesus. It was just like, that's all I wanted to talk about was sobriety. What you got to do? What you got to start? What you got to stop? It was just my ministry was addiction recovery. Now, did God use some of that? Of course, he used a lot of it, but that's not the focus of the new covenant is me trying to get you to start or stop something. Okay. So even the title of this, when I was sitting there this morning thinking, what can I title this? I want to talk about addiction and I had several different things and I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, there's so many different ways I could have phrased this. And I just wanted to make it a statement of a struggle, okay? 
Addiction recovery is not the focus of the new covenant. It's Jesus. It's trusting Christ within you. You know, just to get to the end of this walk talk, the way you're going to break free from any of any addiction you're struggling with is to trust Jesus. That's it. It's it's not 10 steps. It's not 12 steps. It's 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 not three steps. It's it's trusting Christ within you. Now we're going to get to that. But, you know, I still like talking about this. I love it. I love to talk about this. But I don't ever want the focus of my ministry to be on addiction recovery. I even wrote a chapter about that in my, I think my last book, or maybe it was the Christian Identity Volume 2. And the title of it, Addiction Recovery is Not My Identity. It's not. You know, we have so many different ministries where addiction recovery is the ministry. Marriage is the ministry. Financial is the ministry. Whatever. And I understand my opinion is we should get Christ in the center of those things and then we can revolve those things around Jesus. Rather than have those things in the center, that thing in the center, and then Christ is one of those things revolving around it. Because then we make that our focus and then we really impress what that is onto people and that is our focus. So I never want you to think that my focus is trying to get you to, to stop your addiction. That's not my focus. My focus is to help you understand you're completely forgiven and you're righteous. When you understand <laughs> you're completely forgiven and that you're completely righteous and your addiction cannot change that, you're gonna begin to enjoy your freedom. Now, a lot of people believe that I came to the Lord in order to stop my drinking. No, sir, I did not. I did not get saved so that I could stop drinking. Now, when I do this walk talk, I'm going to talk about alcoholism because that's my number one struggle. You might not struggle with alcoholism. Okay. You might know somebody who struggles with alcoholism. This might help them. But a lot of things that I say over the course of however long I do this walk talk, it might not resonate with you because I'm going to specifically be talking about alcoholism. The title of this walk talk is, I'm an addicted Christian, what should I do? So you can apply this to alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography, sex, church status, religion, good works, yep. Even good works. You can apply this to behavior. You can apply this to anything. It could be it could be eating. It could be food. It could be shopping. It could be gambling. It could be uh, trying to earn a higher spot in at your church. Whatever it is that is not of faith, that is not natural for you as a holy person, that could be an addiction. Whatever you are doing repeatedly, ongoingly, and it's, it, you know, this is not for me. I don't enjoy this. That could be an addiction. It probably is an addiction. Okay. But for today, I'm going to talk about something that I struggled with from the time I was 15 all the way till the time I was 32. I'm 40 now and I've been sober by the grace of God for quite a while now. And 
I never thought I would reach this point when I was struggling with my addiction. So let's be clear from the beginning. I did not get sober or I did not get saved so I could get sober. I had been saved from the time I was a small child. Okay, so I was saved as a young boy sitting on that cold, hard pew at my mean as a hornet grandpa's church and the hell was scared out of me and I was saved. Okay, now at that point, you can apply this to yourself when you believed as well. It might not be in the same situation, but the instant you believed that Jesus has saved you, your sinful spirit died. It was crucified on the cross with Jesus, buried in the tomb with Jesus. And then you received a brand new spirit. We see this in Romans chapter six. We see this in Galatians chapter two. We see this in Colossians chapter two. So everything sinful about me was crucified. Everything sinful about you was crucified. Dead. It's not coming back to life. Now, we still have old thought patterns, old coping mechanisms, ways of dealing with situations. But that's not you. That's not your spirit. That's not your identity. All right? I didn't have my first sip of alcohol until I was 15. When I first tasted alcohol, this was the nectar of the gods. This was the greatest thing ever. I could drink this and I could feel like this. You know, it was just, there was something about it. Now, the first time I drank it, I got rip-roaring drunk and I got sick and it was a bad deal. But when I first started drinking it that, that day, I was like, this is awesome. But it wasn't, it wasn't awesome. Okay, now, not everybody has a problem with alcohol. I get that. Some people can take it or leave it. Some people don't have this part of their testimonial. Some people don't have, you know, uh, an addiction part as far as the substance abuse part of their testimonial. You don't have to have that. I'm not saying that you do. And not everybody has an issue with alcohol. Some people can take it or leave it. Some people see people like me who struggle or have a tendency to struggle with an addiction as you're weak, there's something wrong with you, why don't you just not do it? Why don't you cut back? Why don't you set a limit? <laughs> we tried that. <laughs> we tried all the different angles. So let's be clear. First of all, drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. When you get drunk, that is not a faith. But Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus drank. The wine was fermented. There are some people who can't even stand that statement. They're like, oh no, back then wine wasn't fermented. Yes, it was. It was fermented. Why would Paul say, don't get drunk on wine? Because you can get drunk. So we don't need to say wine wasn't fermented in the Bible. We just need to talk about this with the truth. And we need to say, yes, it was fermented. But people still struggled with addictions. So you can drink just as much as Jesus drank. How you gonna figure that out? 
There's no law in that. Do you see it? Do you see it? So we don't want to make a big deal out of the actual physical item of alcohol. We want to talk about why am I struggling with this addiction? It's a sinful tendency. It's a sinful tendency. All of us have different tendencies. And the power of sin influences all of us in different ways. But that's not who we are. We are not our sinful tendencies. We are brand new creations. Remember, when you believed, your old self died, buried in the tomb, new creation. You're not repeatedly killing yourself. You have died. That person is not coming back to life. You are putting to death old thought patterns, old choices, old coping mechanism. When Paul said, I die daily, he was not talking about himself. He was talking about the physical dangers he faced as he traveled from region to region to preach the gospel. He was defending his ministry. Read it in context. When he said, I die daily, he's talking about physical dangers. He even said, I fought wild beasts on the road to Ephesus. So we have to stop looking to I die daily as proof text for saying you got to kill yourself daily. Paul wrote Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. Paul wrote Romans. Your old self died. So Paul knew that everything sinful about him had died. Okay. So you're not dying daily. You're learning who you are. Now for me, when, when I could not get over the fact that I don't know when to stop, it's like when, when it enters my system, something happens and it's like a, 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 a switch flipped. I don't know how to describe it, but I cannot get enough. I don't know. I just don't know. This sinful tendency of mine to want to get this feeling and continue this feeling and not stop once this feeling starts, it's an addiction. So what is starting the feeling? Putting it in my mouth. So as long as I don't put it in my mouth, that's not going to happen. I can have those thoughts, but I don't have to act on those thoughts. So I started drinking when I was 15, struggled all the way up until I was 32, went to all the AA meetings and you know, I even got sober in my early twenties for a year, an entire year. When Grace was a little bitty baby, I stopped drinking for a year, but I did not do it organically. Here's what I did. I went to the meetings. I started calling myself an alcoholic and I shut myself off from the world. I didn't go to restaurants that sold alcohol. I didn't go to family functions because I knew people were going to be drinking. I would turn the channel as soon as I saw a beer commercial. It was misery. And it was only a matter of time before I started again. And when I started again, boom, I hadn't skipped a beat. Right back off, <laughs> right where I was. And then I continued to drink. That was, I think I was 22, 23. And then I continued to drink until I was 32. Okay. Now, I went to the meetings. I did the 12 steps. I read the big book. I did all the stuff. The number one thing that really impacted me negatively about that system is I was calling myself a, a alcoholic, an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Matt. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Matt. You even get an applause for calling yourself an alcoholic.
Hello? <laughs> but if I am an alcoholic, what should I be doing? Getting drunk. Expressing alcoholism. Doing everything I can to drink. After all, that's, that's who I am. I got to be myself. So you're telling me I have to come to these places, say I'm something that I'm not, or believe that I'm something that I'm not, and then deny who I am for 80 years. I, you know, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I know it's worked for a lot of people. But authentically, according to the new covenant, according to what Christ has done, not just for you at the cross, which is forgive you, but to you, which is make you a brand new creation, you're not an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. If I'm an alcoholic, the, you know, the number one excuse that I used when I was still drinking was, it's just who I am. I, I'm at peace with this. I got drunk again. It's, after all, I'm just an alcoholic. It's an excuse to partake in an addiction that is not natural for me as a holy person. One more stick in the pile. Who cares? Give it your best shot again. So here's what you do. Try harder. Putting your best effort this time. Self-effort. Where's Christ in that? You know, looking around, where's Christ? You're not trusting Jesus. Here's what this looks like. Okay, I got drunk again for the millionth time. I'm not gonna drink for a week to prove I'm not an alcoholic. You might get through that. And if you get through it, what are you gonna do on day seven or day eight? Boom, you're drinking again because you just proved you're not an alcoholic. You're drunk again. Okay, that didn't work. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm only gonna buy what I'm gonna drink. That'll do it. Tried that 798 times. What happens? You drink it and you go buy more. You drive drunk and you go buy more. Or you get angry at your spouse because they won't take you to the convenience store to buy you more. Okay, so that doesn't work. All right, so this is what I'm gonna do. I'm only gonna drink on Friday and Saturday. That's it, that's the only days. You might pull that off a week, maybe two weeks. Oh, but Thirsty Thursday, Thursday's the new Friday. So then you start drinking on Thursday again. Uh, the next, the next week I already, I already, last week I already drank Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Might as well drink Wednesday. Do you see it? Mental gymnastics. You're trying this sin management system of trying to solidify the reasons as to why you continue with this addiction. <laughs> it just does not work. Oh my God. If you only knew how many Saturdays I laid in my basement on that cold leather couch in front of my big screen TV, feeling sorry for me, binge, feeling sorry for myself, binge eating on delivered Chinese food, and then starting to drink later in the day because I was already hung over as crap anyway. What's the big deal? I mean, it would just blow your mind if you knew. So I was having health problems. I was having marriage problems. Now, here's the thing with your health. Did you know alcohol, alcohol-related deaths is the third 
leading cause of death preventable, the third leading preventable cause of death in the U.S. As in, if I stop doing something, I probably won't die from it. Alcohol is number three. Number one is tobacco use. As in, if I just stop smoking or I just stopped using tobacco, I probably won't die. Preventable death. Number two is what you eat and your exercise. So if I stop eating so poorly and I get in a little activity, I probably won't die. Alcoholism, alcohol-related deaths is number three. So right there, my, my chances of living longer just got higher because I stopped. So it's preventable. But here I was struggling with these health issues. You know, I always had headaches. I always had stomach aches. I always was just like irritable. I was always easily triggered. And it was all because I was calling myself an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I go to the meetings, I call myself an alcoholic. Here's another thing that I did. When I was sober and I was using I'm an alcoholic as my reasoning to, to stay sober, what did I say to everybody who was getting drunk? You're an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. Oh, I can definitely tell you are an alcoholic. You definitely need to get to a meeting. Oh, you want to go to a meeting with me? Hypocrisy. Because, oh, look at me. Look at me. I stopped drinking. You should be like me. Just be like me. Be like me. Then I turned that into religion. So I went from being addicted to alcohol during that little section of that one year phrase of staying sober. And then my addiction turned to religion. I was at church every time the door was open while I was sober. Because after all, I'm doing good stuff. Might as well start going to church too and, and tithing to be blessed and giving an offering above the tithe and, you know, holding the door open for people and making sure pastor has his, his sports coat nice and, and, and clean. You know, all these things addicted to religion. So I went from addicted to alcoholism to addicted to religion and I'm just, ah! there's no peace in it. There's no peace. Do you see it? All because I had my identity confused. And as I would lay there on the couch every Saturday and most of the Sundays too, and a lot of, you know, <laughs> if you knew some of my employees at work, they would walk into my office and I would be laying on the floor on a Monday. Uh, I even have a pillow because I knew I was gonna be hung over on a Monday. I'd be laying on my floor in my office. Hung over. And then I'd, I'd get home and I'd watch Intervention on A&E. I had it number one on my DVR. I was going to figure out how to get sober like these people on Intervention. I was going to figure this out. After all, I figured out how to be successful in business. I figured out how to do this. I figured out how to do that. I could figure this out too. I was trying. I wasn't trusting. Effort. Effort. I was calling myself something that I wasn't expecting me to express something that I wasn't calling myself. <laughs> Do you see it? If you're struggling with an addiction, the first thing that you need to do as a Christian 
is admit who you are. <laughs> Every single time you, you struggle with that addiction, you don't need to say you are that addiction. You don't need to say you are a person who, who is what that addiction is. You are not your addiction. If you are your addiction, what Christ has done through the resurrection is a big fat lie. You are who God says you are because you believed in Christ. I could be swimming in alcohol right now. I could have an alcohol IV and I could do that until I was a hundred years old. I would still be a saint. Nothing can change my identity. No amount of alcohol could change who I am. No amount of sobriety could sustain who I am or can sustain. I could be drinking a beer right now, doing this walk talk with you, talking about this addiction. I would still be a saint. Would I be a hypocrite? No, I would still be a saint. Identity. Who are you? Who are you? When you know who you are, you will live that way. So who are you, Christian? Who are you? You don't get told this much in our churches. You don't get told this ever in AA. You are a saint. Yeah, but I, yeah. no. You're a saint. You're a holy person. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of anything you're continuing to do. But because you believed in Jesus by grace. You are completely forgiven. He no longer holds your sins against you. What is drunkenness? A sin. But because you believed in Christ by grace, you're forgiven. He's seen all your drunken episodes. He can see the future. He's seen all your other sins too. And he's decided not to hold any of those sins against you. He remembers your sins no more. Not that he's, uh, uh, you know, a forgetful old man, but he chooses to not remember your sins because you've trusted in Christ by grace once in your life. You're completely forgiven. You, you, there's nothing you can do about that ever again as a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says he no longer holds your sins against you. All right. What else? What else is the truth about you? You're righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says Jesus became sin so you could become righteous. It was a divine trade-off. Righteousness for sin. Yeah, but I still sin. I know. He already traded off for that. Yeah, but I, it's a lifelong sin. I know. He already traded off for that. Yeah, but it's... I know. Ooh. You have to deal with the fact that you're completely forgiven and you're completely righteous. That's what you do. If you're an addicted Christian, what should you do? Deal with the fact that what Jesus did on the cross was a huge success. And then what he did through the resurrection was just as much of a huge success. You have God's divine nature. Peter tells us this. You don't have a sinful nature. Did you know the word sinful nature and not even in scripture? That was an error by the NIV translation. It's not there. 
They've changed it back, by the way. But the NIV translation, which was the most widely sold Bible in the 80s and most of the 90s, people read that and they're like, I have two natures, a sinful nature and a good nature. You do not. You only have one nature, a good nature, a holy nature, a righteous nature. Second, or, uh, Peter tells us in Second Peter, you have God's divine nature. Your old nature of Adam, gone. New nature of Christ, in. This is why getting drunk does not set right with you. You know, we all know the people, get out of here, bug. We all know the people who, I'm gonna choose my words wisely. We all know certain individuals who happily get drunk. They have no problem with it. And they wonder why you don't wanna do it. I'm not saying they're not saved. There could be a denial, but they have no problem getting drunk. It bothers you. Why? Because inside of you is the Holy Spirit and your spirit combined and you have his divine nature and you want what he wants and you want to express what he wants to express through you. And Part of that is self-control. We see this in uh, Galatians chapter five, self-control. It is a fruit of the spirit. So if you're expressing self-control, you're, you're not gonna get drunk. Also, if you're expressing self-control, you're gonna know that you have a sinful tendency to want to get drunk, so you're not even gonna touch it. Could I drink right now and attempt to control it? Yes, but I know based on my history and what I have a sinful tendency to struggle with, which is alcoholism, I don't need to drink a drop. That's what the Holy Spirit has led me to believe. So if I go to the barbecue and you say to me, hey, will you go get me a beer out of the cooler? I will gladly go get you a beer and hand it to you and I'll sit right next to you and I'll, I'll have a LaCroix or a Diet Pepsi and we'll talk and we'll hang out. I don't drink. Why? Because I know that's not what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. That person might not have a problem with alcohol. Now, if that person has a problem with alcohol, I'm not gonna say you have a problem with alcohol. I'm gonna be friendly to them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be around them. I'm not gonna shut them off. You know, I'm not talking about making a habit of continuing to go to places where you're triggered to act on a tendency. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, let's not put new laws, a new law or new commandments on things that you're struggling with, because all that's going to do is stir up sin. Okay. Be yourself. That's all you got to do. You don't need to shut off the world. You don't need to tell everybody what you did. They ain't asking you. They see it. They know what you think, you know, and alcohol now, if they are asking you and they are reaching out, you know, be gentle, be respectful, love them, listen, empathize. Don't give them a list of things to do. Tell them who they are. Point them to Jesus. When we see alcohol, alcohol is so widely advertised. It's such a, just a common thing that when you finally decide I'm going to stop drinking, sometimes people will think you're weird. 
so freaking what? Who cares? I don't care. Think I'm weird. It's really that simple. There's nothing else you can do with that. If I went around caring about what everybody thought of me about my recovery, that he's weak or if he was really as strong as he as uh, he appears to be, uh, he he could have a few beers or you know, he's just trying to get attention by being sober and he's just trying to sell books or insert what insert whatever accusation comes to mind about whatever your struggle is. I've heard it all. But you have to get to the point of understanding I have no control over the opinion of people, but I have control over how I respond. And I'm not going to be triggered or allow them to manipulate me because I know what's best for me. And what's best for me, because I've struggled with this addiction, is not to drink a drop. You know, when I was still struggling with my addiction, I even would try to get people to be accountable for me. You know, Jennifer, God love her, you know, she had to deal with this uh, phase of my life. And by the grace of God, I'm still married. You know, I would say, okay, tonight, you know, we're going to this party or we're going to go do this thing. Pay attention to my drinking. I, I only want you to let me drink about six. And what was I doing on the way to the spot? I was already drinking. I had already smashed some shooters from the gas station. I had my tall boy. So... I'm telling Jennifer to be accountable for me. And then I show up there and I'm already obliterated. And then she comes up to me and says, you've, you've had your six. And then I get mad at her because I feel like she's judging me because I'm, it's a big mess. It's not her responsibility for what I drink. She's my wife. I'm responsible. And then what do I do? I'll hide it. I'll, I'll go in the bathroom and, and slam a beer or, or slam a shot. You see it? It's all excuses. It's all not of faith. It's all not for the righteous, holy person that you are. So if you're addicted and you want to stop drinking, this is what you do. Be yourself. Be yourself. You have self-control. And when you are being yourself, you're trusting Jesus. When you mess up, you're not going to think that you need to hurry up and get to church so you can get right again. Start, I'm going to start living right today. I'm going to start living right. You know, you got people up on stage. You ain't living right. Yeah, you're right. I'm not living right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a better job. I'm going to do yeah. all that drinking and all that video game playing. And yeah. you won't do that. You will never have the thought of, I got to go somewhere. Okay. You will never have the thought when you are being yourself, you will never have the thought of, I got to do something. You will never have the thought of, I need forgiveness because the only way you could be forgiven again is if Christ dies again, that's not happening. You're completely forgiven. You're never going to have the thought of, I, I need to Get back in line so I can be righteous again. You're already righteous. So this is called grace. And this is why Paul told Titus, it is the grace of God which will teach you how to live an upright, holy, self-controlled life. 
not law, not church, not a pastor's teaching, not AA, grace. Grace. Look it up, Titus 2, 11 and 12. It is the grace of God that teaches you. Not me. You know, I'm a branch. Right now I'm just using my spiritual gift of encouragement, communication. I know what my gifts are, but even me, I'm not the one that's going to stop you from acting out something that's not of faith. Grace will. Grace. Grace is your grace is always your answer. You know, the legalist will say, you got to stop sinning. You got to start doing this. That's not graceful. They hate grace. They absolutely hate grace. Grace is the worst thing ever. I mean, because grace is not fair. Grace is completely unfair because they want you to be like them. Then you earned it. And then you need to continue to be like them. That's why Jesus got killed. The Pharisees hated grace. They trampled on the spirit of grace. They did not want their heart to be strengthened by grace. They did not want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. They did not to want they did not want to be saved by grace through faith. They hate grace. But grace is your answer. Grace ultimately will help you break free from your addiction. That's it. Understanding that there's nothing you can do to mess this up. Understanding that your identity is solidified because of the cross and the resurrection. Understanding that God will never be disappointed in you if you acted on your addiction every single day until the day you die. Understanding everything grace has done. You know, somebody said on a comment this morning, um, you're just telling people to take advantage of the grace of God. Oh my gosh. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. But he was saying it in a negative way. I'm saying it in a positive way. Take advantage of the grace of God in the same way as you take advantage of oxygen. Breathe it. Use it up. It's infinite. It's never going to go away. It is your life. It is Jesus. Jesus is grace. Every time you see the word grace in the Bible, you could substitute it with the word Jesus. You will get the same result. So everything I'm talking to you about today is based on what Christ has done. So if you insult grace, you're insulting Jesus. And it is the grace of God which will teach you how to live an upright, holy, self-controlled life. And when you're expressing your self-control, you're not going to act on addictive tendencies. You're going to say, I'm dead to that. I'm considering myself dead to that because I am. I have literally died to sin. I am alive to Christ. I am a new creation. I am holy. I am righteous. I am blameless. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm set apart. I'm seated with Christ in heaven right now. I've been supernaturally. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's nothing that I can do to mess up what Christ has done at the cross. But when we step back away from that and we don't make a big deal about what Jesus has done, we belittle his blood. We belittle the resurrection. We belittle our new creation identity. We struggle. We struggle. 
<laughs> God doesn't want you to struggle. He wants you to enjoy your life. How many emails and messages do I get about addiction? And they all hate it. All of them hate it. They hate the addiction. But they're messaging me about what to do. You know, <laughs> my response is normally, well, it looks like you don't like it. <laughs> you know, it, you don't like it. Feel your feelings. And then don't act on that addiction. Be yourself. When you struggle, so what? Do whatever you can with whoever you've harmed on earth to make amends. But there's nothing that you need to do with God. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You don't need to do anything to get back in fellowship. Every single time you act on that sinful tendency, God is with you. He doesn't leave you and then come back. That would mean that Jesus would have to come back down off the cross or come back down out of heaven, go back in the grave, get back up on the cross, come down off the cross, unlive his life, go back into Mary, go back up into heaven. That's the only way God would leave you when you acted on your sinful tendency is if what Christ has done was undone. That's not happening. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Blame Jesus, not me. But look, if you knew me, I am, I am the most overly competitive, overly driven type A personality I know out of anybody. Me. This is not my idea. If I set this thing up, it would be different. And I would outwork you and I would prove you wrong. That's my tendency. That's my personality if I allow it to go in that direction. So this is not my idea. This is the gospel. Deal with it. Deal with the gospel. Okay, deal with the gospel. You are not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Who do you think you are? You are not more powerful than the resurrection. Who do you think you are? Yeah, but it's a lifelong sin. Okay, are you saying that your lifelong sin is more powerful than what Jesus has done at the cross and resurrection? It's not, friend. It's not. And maybe you're watching this and you're just prim and proper and you're like, well, he ain't talking to me. This ain't got nothing to do with me. I just want to know how he talks to these drunks. That's your tendency, friend. That's your tendency. Self-righteousness. As if you have done something to achieve where you're at or are continuing to do something to be where you're at. Sell everything. Pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. When you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Jesus will find a way to expose your tendency. Jesus will find a way to expose your weakness. Just repent. Repent toward grace. Enjoy grace. Be yourself. All right. So, so I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light maybe some error that you've struggled with. I'm an addicted Christian. What should I do? Be yourself. Be yourself and you can't go wrong. And when you are being yourself, you're trusting Jesus. Trust Jesus. Be yourself. Rely on his grace. It's never ending. Where sin abounds, grace is super abounding. It never ends. You can't out the grace of God. You cannot out the grace of God. 
Sorry. You just can't. You could sin 24-7, 365. It will not be greater than, than the grace of God. The deliberately keep on sinning passage is not talking about a Christian. It's talking about, it's talking about people who are continuing to sin according to the law of Moses. They wanted to go to the animal, wanted to go to the temple with animal blood to receive forgiveness, but they were deliberately sinning. Don't apply that to yourself. There's no Bible verse that mucks this up, what I'm saying. Not one. If you can think of one, it's been taught wrong. All right? So, always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're not an addict. Never call yourself an addict. That's a lie. It's a big fat lie. The resurrection has caused you to become righteous, holy, blameless, a new creation, a child of God. There's nothing wrong with you. You are free. So live free. Always be yourself and always tell the truth about yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.